السلام علیکم ایور ان دی میوٹ وعلیکم السلام ورحمۃ اللہ Okay, the time has come. Let us begin. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihi al-kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay, so continuing our exploration of Surat al-Baqarah. We have now talked about the attributes of the people of taqwa, right? We said that this book is guidance for those who have taqwa. And then those people of taqwa have these six attributes. But at the end of ayah five, those people who have taqwa have guidance and they're successful. And we talked about what the success is of the people of taqwa. Now we are talking about the second type of person, the kafir. And so first let us look at the ayahs and then let's get into the discussion, inshallah. So uh, somebody nod, let me know you can see the, the, the Quran screen. Yes, very good. Okay. So scrolling right here, ayah six and seven. Inna lavina kafaru. As for those who have rejected, past tense plural. Sawa'un alayhim. It is the same for them. Anzartahum. If you warn them, amlam thunvirhum, or you do not warn them, la yuminun. They do not will not believe. Second ayah, Allah, so Allah has sealed has sealed their hearts, and their hearing, and and their eyes or their sight and put a veil. And for them is a horrendous, painful uh, uh, torment. Okay, so ayah six and seven. <clears throat> they have rejected ayah 6 and ayah 7. Uh, Allah has sealed them off. So first, now let's just get some vocabulary in, which might be reviewed for many, but just to make sure we're all on the same page. So once again, Nod, let me know. You can see the whiteboard. Yes, thank you very much. So first... Word kafir. Here, let me put this in different order just for convenience or to, to make it uh, the logic flow. We have kafir singular, kafirun plural, bad multitude, and we have okay. So the word kafir, in terms of its etymology, is one who covers. In terms of just the linguistics. So if you don't put it in a sentence, what does it mean? It's one who covers. Kafirun would be the basic plural for this, but sometimes we use the word kufar. Kufar is referring to multitudes of kafir. So one kafir, two kafirani, three kafirun, multitudes of kafirs, we could use kafirun or kufar. That's how the language works. Kufar is someone, is a kafir in the state. The state of being a kafir is kufar. So kafir is the person, kufar is the state or the condition. Again, I think most of us know this, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, to make sure we understand this. And then once again, if I'm going too fast on any of this, uh, by all means, feel free to ask me to slow down and repeat. Okay. So, a uh, quick uh, question. What is a kafir? Uh, one who hides. The one who covers. Covers. So, a lot of the vocabulary of the Quran uh, comes from two industries. One is agriculture, and the other is business. And so, we used the word in the previous uh, uh, unit. Uh, meaning the people of taqwa, they are successful. They have falah. That's a word related to agriculture. And a closer word would be they have cultivated themselves. So the idea of kufr is covering up a 
seed. You're taking a seed and you're covering it up in terms of its old etymology. This is also part of agriculture. So a point to think about when we're speaking about these attributes of faith and rejection, when we're using the vocabulary of agriculture, it is sort of like the, what we mean when we're talking about planting things and watering them and growing them. That you plant iman, you water it, you grow it. You plant rejection, you water it, you grow, you, you grow it and such. That is one way to, to try to understand these terms. Now, in the context of belief, a kafir is one who rejects. And, and so this is a point, those of you who are in the five o'clock class, this I think we discussed yesterday or the day before, that the point to consider is that the word kafir does not automatically mean non-Muslim. Or a better way to write it, a non-Muslim is not automatically a kafir. When we are speaking through the lens of the Quran, we are speaking of the entire person. If, however, we're speaking through the lens of any of the Islamic sciences, we're speaking of part of a person. So what do I mean by this? Is that if we're looking at something through the lens of Islamic law, we're only focused on actions. Are actions valid or are they invalid? We are not concerning ourselves with the condition of someone's heart. So what does this mean? That to become a Muslim, I testify that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, peace be upon him. From the perspective of law, I'm a Muslim. Good. But it could have been a lie. Maybe I'm just I'm being a complete fake. But from the perspective of the law, I've done what is required to be identified as a Muslim. But from the perspective of the Quran, you're looking at the whole person. So the law looks at actions. The Quran looks at the whole reality. Thus, you might have someone who's not a Muslim, but one scenario is that they haven't shared, they've kept their Islam as a secret, right? I don't know how many of the converts in this room went through a period where they didn't tell anybody in their family that they're Muslim and such, right? I have students, I've had students over the years who, who waited a long time before they told their parents, for example, they're Muslims. I have students who've been Muslim for for years and years and who still haven't told their parents that they're Muslim. And then I have students who, you know, they told their family members that they're Muslim, they got immediately excommunicated. And so the point I'm making is you might have someone who's self-identifying as a non-Muslim, but they might actually be a believer. You might also have someone, you might also have someone who is a non-Muslim, but they've never been exposed to truth. And so this is why I'm emphasizing a kafir is one who rejects, meaning they know the truth and they reject it. So it is not the same as a non-Muslim. And so these are very, very heavy words that should not be tossed around very simply. And another very heavy word is haram, which we'll talk about in a few classes. Another heavy word not to be tossed around very, very easily. Like there's many in our community who like to haramify everything. And the act of calling something haram that is not haram is a haram act. Anyway, we'll get to that when we get to it. But so the point here is that a kafir is one who understands the message of the law in the Quranic context, and they say no. Uh, Dr. Malaha, do you look like you're about to say something? No, I, I have a quick question. Uh, I meant to ask from the last class too that kafir is not equal to non-Muslim is this is the generalized statement or this is like some conditions in there? 
you may uh, explain further. So the oh, oh you you really agree. So it's a non-Muslim not equal to kafir, right? Yeah. Is this is the general rule, or there's some prerequisites and some conditions? Okay. It? So the basic point I'm saying is that if you know any non-Muslim, you cannot automatically assume that they're a kafir. Right. Right. Now, uh, the reason I asked because you know Mosin and I we, we were in another class and then there's a discussion came in um, that you know that we will go with the generalized discussion that um, you know if there is a kafir they will go to the hellfire and the Muslims they go to Jannah that's the general discussion and then the individualities or a specific person like John Doe or Billy Smith or so forth is this is up to Allah's mercy. That was a discussion. I'm just a little bit. Um... Yeah, that works. Yeah. Okay. You know, but what I'm saying is that um, you have to be cautious against categorizing John Doe as a coffee. Right, right. That, that's exactly what I'm going to get to. So. Yeah. Cool. Were you going to say more? Or... No, no, I'm good. Thank you. Okay, okay. Good. Yeah. And so, so <clears throat> this is someone who, <clears throat> sorry who is ultimately in the Islamic context, they're rejecting Allah, they're rejecting the Prophet, peace be upon him, they're rejecting any of the mandatory elements of belief. And then secondarily, it's someone who is ungrateful. Allah. And so you will often find kufr meaning the state to be uh, placed in opposition with shukr. The shukr is gratitude, kufr then would be ingratitude. So if we put both these points together, we're saying rejecting Allah, rejecting the Prophet, peace be upon him, and so forth and so on, is synonymous with ingratitude to Allah. So the, can we, yeah. sorry, sorry, interrupt. Uh, can we assume that uh, a person who is kafir or who has committed kufr, at one point he was a Muslim or because he understood the message, right? Okay. Uh, not necessarily that they were once a Muslim, uh, or, but the bigger point is, how are you going to know if someone once understood the message? That's what I'm saying. This is a condition of the heart and the mind. Yeah. Okay. Now, there are some actions that can allow us to label someone as a kafir. So for example, if someone is attacking someone else, so we'll say John Doe is attacking Khurram Rafiq, and it's clear that John Doe is attacking Khurram because Khurram believes in Allah. Like that is the reason. Then yeah, then we say John Doe is a kafir. And so many of the people that are that are modern Islamophobes that are on the attack against Islam, very clearly openly on the attack against Islam, then we would say we could say of them that they're kafirs. Okay. The key point I'm making is your non-Muslim neighbor, your non-Muslim down the street, your non-Muslim in line in front or behind you at the store um, is not automatically a kafir. Uh, could a Muslim do kufr? Absolutely. Can a Muslim do actions that are actions of kufr? Yeah. Does that mean, so this is in response to, response to Wasim's question, does it mean that they're no longer Muslim? Here you have all kinds of different interpretations. And so one common interpretation, and this comes from a, a specific hadith of the Prophet, peace be upon him, is that when a Muslim is doing a sin, the iman actually leaves them while they're doing the sin. And then either it comes back or it comes back when they seek forgiveness. And so the, for, so what are the consequences of a Muslim doing before there's all kinds of uh, different uh, uh, interpretations? Now that's different than asking can a Muslim do shirk? If a Muslim does shirk, then the argument would be, you know, then it means they're making something, uh, they're consciously making something equal, uh, equal to Allah. And then that person might need to redo their shahada. Uh, Shaila. 
So like, um, let's take a Christian, for example. So a Christian um, who has their own faith, yeah. um, they meet or they marry someone who's Muslim and then, and they learn about Islam, right? So the Muslim spouse or friend tells them about Islam and then they say, no, you know what? That's not really for me. I'm going to stick with what I have. Mm -hmm. I mean, does that just make them a very good Christian and devout Christian and they're a believer, you know, in Christianity or are they then a uh, kafir? So it's still even then hard to determine if they're a kafir because we don't know if they really truly have internalized and recognized it as truth, right? Mm. So, so we would give a unique status to the generation of the prophet, peace be upon him. You know that if someone is not a Muslim, if someone is not becoming a Muslim at the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, they're getting the best possible delivery by the best possible person to deliver it in their own language 100%, right? I mean, they're literally, the Quran is in, not just in their language of their dialect. And they already recognize the prophet, peace be upon him, as a person speaking the truth. And so if that person is not accepting Islam, we'd call that person a kafir. But move forward even one year after the death of the prophet, peace be upon him, we no longer have him delivering the message. And someone receives the message and says, no thanks, uh, you know, you'd have to be cautious against calling that person a kafir. And so apply that now to 2021, someone in America. So let's say I give, you know, so I'm literally a professional educator on Islam. That's literally my job. And I give a presentation on Islam and someone's like, no, thanks. Does that mean someone's a kafir? No, not necessarily. Irrespective of how Christian they may or may not be. Does that make sense? Is, yes. So basically, we will um, we will never know who is a kafir. Exactly. Except if they're specifically attacking, you know, us because of our belief in God, like with the Islamophobes, like the Islamophobes that are specifically very openly attacking Islam. But random person here and there, we're not going to know. And this goes even a step further. So there's the famous case of one of the companions of the prophet, peace be upon him, Osama, who is chasing after a kafir, meaning in a battle. And just as, uh, so Osama corners him, and just as he's about to give him the death blow with his sword, prophet is, is upset. And why Osama says he just did this so he wouldn't get killed. And the prophet asked, did you open his heart to see, you know, whether he was speaking the truth or, or not? And I'm paraphrasing what the prophet said. And so, uh, can you all hear me? Because I received that internet unstable thing. Uh, can you hear me? See me? Just went out for a second. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. And so, so, so in that case, the person made the declaration of faith. And the companion interpreted it as just an excuse to get out. But the prophet said, you know, you didn't know what his intention was. And so it's the same point that kufr is a condition of the heart and the mind. Not necessarily. Uh, uh, I mean, there are kufr behaviors, but that doesn't make someone automatically a kafir. So again, it goes back to the point that this, this word is not easily thrown around to refer to to. Uh, non-Muslims, even if they've been given the message. Okay, uh, any questions about all this so far? So then we get uh, another aspect here. The second ayah, stop that share and then start this share. The second ayah gives us three parts of a person the heart, the hearing, sight. So these become your tools, your spiritual tools of perception. So this is you, and the real you is your heart, but it includes your mind and your body, but then how do you reach someone's heart? It's through their hearing, their sight, are two of the tools. 
And so what are we saying here? That if someone rejects faith or belief in God, then they're not even going to be able to hear it. It's as though they've been blocked off. You know, like you'll have those moments where you just feel like you're zoning out. People are talking to you and nothing is going in, which is how I feel about many grad students. But the point here is that uh, with, uh, with coffers, you're literally getting sealed off. Now, let's add one more dimension to this. IS6 says, just so we don't confuse ourselves, let's put this on a different screen. IS6 says, they rejected. IS7 says, Allah sealed them. So if we were to imagine a word that we would add in between these two lines, would that word be because? Or would that word be therefore? So what I'm asking is, is six causing seven? Is seven causing six? Meaning they rejected because Allah sealed them off? Or they rejected therefore Allah sealed them off? What are your thoughts. So Motan Ansari is saying therefore, uh, Wasim saying therefore, Jules saying Allah could do either. Ella um, saying I hope it's therefore. Okay. A lot of therefore. No one wants to say because. Ali is saying therefore, therefore, Sara. No one wants to say because. All you were so full of confidence yesterday and all the questions, you are absolutely certain about such and such. Yeah. Oh, Amna, you said, you said because. You're saying it because just because I'm asking for someone to, or are you really? Twenty-four hours is a long time to change something. Say it again. Twenty-four hours. <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, we got a couple becauses, and what's interesting is that uh, the becauses are my Loyola students. That's very interesting too. Okay, so let's start with this: the smaller population, uh, Sumaya and Amina. Uh, why do you say because? And you can either type or speak, preferably speak, but you can type. Um, I feel like that follows the trend of like other verses and stuff that I've seen. Okay, okay, fair enough. So Maya, any thoughts? Um, because it just makes sense to me, I guess. <laughs> okay, then let's shift to all the therefores. All you therefores, including Lola grads, uh, why do y'all say therefore? So we got, uh, well, this is a long list. So we have Wasim, we have Mosin, we have Malahat, we have Shela hoping it's therefore, Hania, Aliyah, Sarim. Why do y'all say it's therefore? Because, because because would mean that they don't have free will, yeah? Uh, uh, go for it, Shela. So, yeah, I guess the question is, based on whether we do truly have free will or not. Mm -hmm. And if we have free will, then it would therefore have to be therefore. Okay. Um, but if we don't really have the ability to, you know, choose whether we're believers or not, yes. then I guess it could be either. Okay. All right. Anyone else? I'm going to say, I feel like the opposite because shows that the ultimate decision is up to Allah. All right. Allah is most merciful and wouldn't just give up on someone unless he gave up on their faith in him. Okay, so that makes sense too. Any other thoughts? Anyone want to argue one way or the other? Which one makes more sense? Uh, Mosan and Sarah, you're saying out of justice. Uh, explain that one. Or justice. Okay, I am driving, but I'll try to explain. <laughs> okay, don't, don't get uh, hurt. Yeah, no, I think uh, really it, it does come down to uh, if 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 it was a case of uh, you know Allah sealing it without even giving someone a fair chance, that mm -hmm. would not be that would not be just. So okay. they have to make some kind of 
decision, some kind of action on their part uh, for before Allah decides, okay, you, you're done or you're, I'm going to seal your heart or you're just going to go further and further in, in, in your deviance. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So okay. we're fair arguing enough. that through the lens, so lens of justice, it wouldn't work. Okay. okay. So, so textbook Sunnishia thought is it's both. That it is both because and therefore. So this is then easier to comprehend if we then take each point to its logical conclusion. So if we're saying they rejected, they're making the choice, then we're saying that this is free will. If they're saying Allah has sealed them off, then we're saying potentially it's, um, uh, what's the word? It's predestination. Or we're saying if it's therefore, then it's consequence. But then what are the consequences of all of this on the day of judgment? So if we add the day of judgment to this, in fact, let's make it uh, a full discussion. If we look at this, if we then look at dunya through both of these lenses, and then the day of judgment through both of these lenses, dunya, and then akhirah. Okay, that means this person has free will. They're making their choices. From the perspective of predestination, it means they have no free will. And from the perspective of consequence, that their choices have consequences. On their hearts. Yeah. So we're saying in textbook Sunnishia thought that these are all true. So what does that mean on the day of judgment? It means that they will have justice or better. Meaning on the day of judgment, a point we've been making over and over again is everyone will be treated, every person in the history of the human race and jinn race will be treated fairly or they'll be given something better than fair. Yeah. But no one's going to be given less than what is fair. So you're not going to go to hell if you don't deserve it. From the perspective of no free will, then what is the day of judgment going to be? It's not a day of judgment. It's a day of to whom is Allah going to give mercy? Which is also what we are essentially stating in the first category as well. Either he's giving you justice or he's giving you mercy. And so then we have all these conversations in the history of our tradition. Would you rather have justice or mercy? Mercy is probably better. Yeah. But the day of judgment, if you have no free will, it means it's just literally is Allah choosing to give you mercy or not. You had no choice in the matter. Okay. What about this third category? It's justice. Uh, or, again, better. The only difference here is that you might seal yourself off to such a point that you can never speak forgiveness. So that point we're going to come to in a moment. So do you see what we're saying here? That if you have free will, either you're going to get justice. If you have no free will, then it's entirely up to mercy. So, so one point, uh, like uh, from the sequence of um, ayahs, right? So uh, in the first two, uh, one to five ayahs, Allah Ta'ala has explained the characteristics of uh, people of uh, taqwa, right? Yeah. And, and so it implies that there's a choice there, right? You have we been would to... infer, we would infer that there's a choice, yes. We would infer, yeah. That, that, that's more much better. Yeah. So yeah, we have all the traits of the person of taqwa and, and, and ghaib and everything. So, yeah, I would infer there's a choice given there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
but there's no line that says they're choosing. Yeah. yeah. Right. So what if we just said it was Allah's will that they believe in the unseen and they establish Salah and they spend of what we have bestowed upon them, so forth and so on. So this is an age-old uh, uh, dilemma. And so then how do we sort of try to make sense of this where both are true? And so this is this gets into the issue of POV or what we call subjectivity. So let's say we have a hypothetical person, Khurram, and then a hypothetical person, me. Yeah. So from Khurram's perspective, as far as he can tell, he has a certain amount of free will. There are certain things that Khurram cannot do. He cannot decide when he's going to be born, right? Obviously. And then we're also saying he can't decide when and where he's going to die. That's also pre-written. And there's a whole other thing, a whole bunch of other things that he 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 cannot do either because of lack of strength, like he can't make the Earth shift its orbit, uh, or he can't control somebody else's mind. You know, someone who lives elsewhere. I mean, maybe he has special powers, but there's a certain amount of free will that he has. So, from Horam's perspective, from Horam's perspective, I am potentially pre-written. From my perspective, I have free will. Right, I'm choosing to make my pen float like this. I'm choosing to make my arms and my fingers do these things. From my perspective, however, Khurram is predestined. Any thoughts about what we see here on the board? So what we're saying then is from my perspective, as I stand before Allah on the day of judgment, I am going to see justice being served. From my perspective, when I'm waiting and I'm watching Khurram receive his judgment, it's a question of just how much mercy does Allah want to give Khurram. It's irrelevant to me that he has free will or predestination. It's essentially Allah's mercy on him. So you, as far as you know, have free will. You, as far as anyone else is concerned, may or may not have free will or they're predestined. So, Shaila, the main thing that you would need to know is that you yourself have free will. That part you get, yeah? Yes. Okay. So now let's, uh, to help make this point in a different way. So let's say we have two twins or two people that are almost twins. Let's see, we'll, we'll name one twin Sarim. We'll name the other twin Mustab. Yeah. I'm just picking these names for some reason they come to mind. Okay, Sarim and Mustab are these two twins. And let's say they're in two different neighborhoods and somebody looking needy walks up to Sarim at the exact point in a different neighborhood, somebody needy walks up to Musab. So they smell nasty, their clothes are all dirty. If I were to see them, I would just assume that they're undergraduate students, but everyone else would assume that they're homeless. And so <clears throat> Sarim gives the person, the needy person who approaches him, $5. At the exact same moment that Musab gives the person who approaches him $5. And from within their own minds, that was free will. So let's say this needy looking person, okay, that comes to Sarah, we'll say uh, uh, his name is and the needy looking person who goes to Musab, his name is Basir. 
Now let's say uh, Omar takes the $5 and then what happens is Omar spends the $5 on food. And he is nourished. But what happens in this other case is Basir is so inspired by Musab's generosity that Basir spends $2.50 on food. And on top of that, Basir gives $2.50 to another needy person. So I think we all understand the scenario so far that Saren, the needy person, consumes it all, whereas Basir, uh, Musab, the needy person, consumes half of it, but then gives away half because he's so inspired by Musab's generosity. So on the Day of Judgment, Saren is getting rewarded for giving the $5. Okay. On the Day of Judgment, Musab is getting rewarded for giving the $5 and Basir is getting rewarded for giving the 250. And then Sarim in, I'm sorry, hold on. Let's change the color here. So blue here is Sarim's reward. And then on the day of judgment, Musab is getting rewarded for giving $5. And Musab is also getting rewarded for inspiring Basir to give 250. At the same time, Basir is getting rewarded for giving 250. So as far as Musab and Sarim are concerned, Basir's actions were Allah's will. It was outside of Musab's intention or control, right? It was Allah's will that Sarim is getting this huge reward for the $5, but it's done. And yet it's Allah's will that Musab is getting the reward for the $5 and another reward for the second gift. And so to answer your question, Malahat Qadr can be a form of mercy, yes. Uh, but you raise your hand. You have a further question? No, no, I asked already. Thank you. Okay. Shala. Um, so I don't understand why, from Musab's point of view, wait, wait, say that part again. Why it has to be, I don't understand why it has to be predestined, why he has to see it as predestination. No, like, why can't he see that Basar had free will too? So I'm saying it's uh, from Musab's perspective, it's irrelevant whether Basar is free will or predestination. As far as what matters from Musab's perspective, you know, Basar made these choices or these choices have been uh, made either by Basar or through Basar for Musab to get even more reward. Meaning it was in Allah's will for it not to happen with Omar. So it's perfectly fine if we look at everyone here as having free will. That's perfectly fine. But the point I'm saying is that if we're looking only from Musab's per point of view, uh, it doesn't matter if the other three people on the screen have free will or if they're predestined because they are outside of Musab's control. Yeah. So let's make it, let's add it uh, another dimension to this that I don't think it'll make it more confusing, but it's gonna hammer the same point. Uh, let's say they don't know what happens with the money. That Musab finds out on the day of judgment that Basir uh, was inspired by him and Musab gets further reward. And so the point I'm making is that whether that was Basir's free will, as far as Musab is concerned, whether it's Basir's free will or Allah manifesting his mercy on, on Musab, doesn't make a difference. The part that matters is that Musab has his own free will. 
So let me know if this is more confusing or, or less confusing or if it helps make sense. The key point here is that when we're looking at, uh, to make it easier, let's do this, suggestion or free will. That might make it a little bit easier. The key point being from Horam's perspective in his own head, he has free will. From Omar's perspective in his own head, Omar has free will. But Omar can't get into Horam's head. So it doesn't matter if it's free will or predestination or if Horam is a human being or a robot. Shall let me know if it makes a little bit more sense. Okay, okay, good. It was Stephen saying, I think what it means is we should be humble and not judge and leave it to Allah on the day of judgment. Sure, but I mean, that applies to literally everything in all of, in all of uh, life. Uh, I'm not sure how that would be different uh, here. Okay. Everybody feel like it makes sense so far? So what we're saying here is that both are true. They reject Allah and Allah seals them off. But it also can mean they reject Allah because Allah seals them off and it can also mean they reject Allah therefore Allah seals them off all of these are possible and it's often easiest to understand by using whose point of view we're looking through because what does the full ayah say it says as for those who have rejected it makes no difference if you warn them or not they're not going to believe So perform good deeds if you haste, then Allah's mercy will come, inshallah. Yeah, again, that applies to everything in all the entire history of Islam, but it applies here too. Yeah. So we'll add just one more dimension to this, um, the con conversation of free will and predestination, is that if we go to Surah uh, Al-Hadid, Surah 57, which I think I may have made a reference to before, Okay, so if you scroll down Surah 57, near around Ayah 20, okay, so bear in life, bear that the, that the present life is just a game, a diversion, an attraction, a cause of boasting among you, a rivalry in, in wealth and children. It is like plants that spring up after the rain, their growth at first delights the sowers, but then you see them wither away, turn yellow, become stubble. Remember I said that so much of the vocabulary of the Quran is about agriculture or trade. There's trouble punishment in the next life as well as forgiveness and approval from God. The life of this world is only an illusory pleasure. Okay, so we're saying this life, it's full of all kinds of distractions that are happy distractions, but they're still distractions like competition, like boasting, rivalry, all those things. And this life is also the seeds for punishment. It's also the seeds for forgiveness and approval from Allah. So what should you do? And this is akin to what, what uh, Malah just posted. So race for your Lord's forgiveness. Sabiqu, which is basically compete in being in first place for your Lord's for, uh, forgiveness and for gardens that are as wide as the heaven of the earth, prepare for those who believe in God and his messenger. That is Allah's bounty, which he bestows on whoever he pleases. Oh, snap, whoever he pleases. Sounds like it's predestination. God's bounty is infinite. First part of this ayah sounds like free will. Last part of the ayah sounds like predestination. Now, here's what I'd like you to focus on. No misfortune can happen either in the earth or in yourselves that was not set down in writing before we brought it into being. Every struggle that you have the word is both in Arabic and in Urdu and probably in Persian and Turkish, musiba. Every musiba that has happened or will happen is pre-written. And that's easy for God. Now, why are we being told this? So you don't grieve over what you have lost. Or you don't gloat over what you gain. And how would you gloat? Meaning you've benefited because of someone else's musiba. So four people apply for, uh, apply for the same job. One person gets it. For the other three, it's a musiba. It's a struggle. Yeah. So the point is that 
your struggles are pre-written and your prosperity is pre-written. So if we're saying that my struggles are pre-written, then what are we saying? That that should temper my sorrow to some degree. You know, like you'll have this experience that many of you probably had that, you know, when, when someone passes away, you think, okay, if only I did this, or if only I did that, you know, they'd still be here. Or if a relationship ends, if only I did this, if only I did that, they'd still be here. Or, you know, you lose, you lose uh, an, an income. If only I did this, if only I did that. I mean, I'll give you a really tiny story. Uh, so one day I was going to meet um, a friend of mine slash student over at a restaurant and I parked my car and I look everywhere for a sign that says no parking. You know, go inside and have dinner and then I come out and right in there's a ticket on my car and right in front of my car there's a sign that says no parking that before I went in I looked everywhere I didn't even see the parking the the, the sign that said no parking I would literally have to say that was Allah's will for me not to see the sign then a year later having had that experience I'm meeting some other people at the same restaurant and I know not to park there and I'm driving around the block and I find this one place and I park and I'm looking at the sign and it says no parking from this time to this time. You can park from this time to this time. And I'm looking at it again and again, making sure I understand. And I go inside, eat, come out and I have a ticket. And I look at the sign again and it clearly said that I can't park at the time that I was there. Even though prior to the dinner, I kept looking at it over and over again. So it was in Allah's will for me to not understand the sign. In other words, it was in Allah's will for me to lose $50 that one time. And I think the second ticket was like $150. Right? And so that was predestined. It could be that I was too hungry. That's entirely possible. But the point is that we would say that it was predestined. Mohsin beat me to that. Yeah, it's possible. It's, it's in Chicago, so it's possible the sign actually wasn't there. And then as soon as I went inside, the sign suddenly appeared up from the ground. That also is plausible for Chicago. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying Wasim, Wasim might beat me to that. I'm going to say that. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause that. yeah. And so, but the point is that when you are hit with struggle, it is pre-written. What you can affect, however, in advance is how big or small the struggle is. So we are taught that if you're giving in charity, that'll diminish the, the seriousness of the struggle that is pre-written for you. If you recite Ayat al-Qursi after your prayers, it'll diminish the, the, the seriousness of the struggles that are, hit, that are meant for you. Meaning, so if I'm scheduled to be hit with the struggle at 7.42 p.m. today, if I'm reciting Ayat al-Qursi or give charity, I'm still gonna be hit with the struggle, but it might be that I step on you know, a pencil as opposed to our house burning down. And so the point is that struggle is pre-written and part of the reason is to help soften your grief. And then likewise, uh, the prosperity is also pre-written so it's to soften your boasting. So the only way you can change struggle is by your actions before it. Uh, I don't know how you would change struggle by your actions after it. So uh, Afghan is gonna ask, uh, ask you to expand on the question. Yeah, that's what I was, when you were saying, um, like- um, uh, Can you closer to the microphone? Yes, sorry. Is this better? A little bit, yeah. Okay, um, so you're saying that we can change how, it, how big the struggle becomes by giving charity. Um, so can we, so that would be the only way to change the struggle itself, but after it happens, we can only affect how like we deal with it emotionally. Yes, that's exactly okay. what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Meaning you will be hit with a struggle no matter what, but it could be, you know, that your pen breaks, you know, as opposed to, you know, you find out you have a disease. I was going to mail protect us from all these things. And so you have the degree of impact as as Judy says. And, and so charity is one way, reciting Ayat al-Kursi um, after your prayers is another way. And there are other ways as well. Matsif. Yeah, um, it's easy. Um, 
for you to convince yourself uh, a lot of times uh, after the fact that, you know, it's will of Allah, let's say you get into an accident, something like that. Uh, but I guess uh, when we are explaining it to other people, uh, especially you know, people, let's say you took somebody else's car or something like that. Uh, I guess we, we cannot really, <laughs> you cannot make this argument or it, it won't be bought by the other person that it's will of Allah, right? right? So I guess it's it's that is the hard part that you can understand yourself, but uh, yeah, yeah, you I cannot mean, explain it that way to other person. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean in terms of the logic of dunya, it doesn't mean that it wasn't your fault. Meaning, okay, so let's say you have two people who are driving in a, in a huge winter storm. And both of them are driving really fast through, through the snow. One person, their, their car slips and they crash. The other person, they make it home safely. I mean, the fact that they crash, it's still their fault. But the fact of the crash and the struggle, it was also pre-written for it to happen. Meaning, it, the other way to say it is that the person who made it home safely uh, is is more granted mercy by Allah. See what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. And so, the point is that if I didn't have the, uh, we, I could say, well, if I didn't drive in the snow, I wouldn't have the car crash. I would have still had a struggle at that moment. Whether it's through a car crash or something else, I still would have been hit with a struggle. Okay. Makes sense? Yeah. Any other questions or thoughts? But sometimes, sometimes the struggle will take its course, right? Um, regardless of sattva, duas, mercy, everything, but you know, it's like the laikulifana and the Anasamatra said, We will surely will test you <clears throat> with your mal, your olad and everything. Yeah, but the point is that uh, if you are giving in Sadaqah and or reciting Arthur Korsin and or doing the other things, the struggle can be hit with is much smaller than it would otherwise would have been. Right. Any other questions? Alrighty, we'll stop right here, inshallah. And then we'll continue tomorrow. Tomorrow we will get into hypocrisy. So subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell the word you all, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum